Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. And this week we are watching our final spoopy movie for Spoopy Month. Yes, and this one is arguably one of the more interesting of the four. I... I'm very excited because this is a movie that I have never seen before today. I know, hold in your gasps. It's okay. It's been done. It's been dealt with. I finally watched it. We're talking about Beetlejuice, released in 1988. Yes, it is a Tim Burton movie that a lot of people have revered but haven't seen in a long time including myself i have not seen this since i was younger so i was a little worried because i was listening to other podcasts talk about yeah some of the problems this movie has now that this movie is 32 years old with some of the effects and some of the other things yeah i mean to be fair as someone more objective who didn't grow up with this movie by the way i don't know why really i didn't watch this movie growing up i think I think I was like probably creeped out by Beetlejuice. It makes sense. And that's probably why I just avoided it. But I will say as far as the effects go, I didn't really have a problem with it. It seemed like typical Tim Burton fare where the effects are kind of over the top. So it didn't really bother me, the wackiness of it. The other thing people brought up is the character of Beetlejuice not being very wholesome. I knew nothing really about the plot of this movie going in. I know the very basics of like, like I know Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice and he's got this crazy suit on and, and I know Winona Ryder's in it and she's like a goth princess, which we'll fucking talk about. She is like the queen of this movie, but I really didn't know any thing about the plot itself. So I really went into this blind but I knew enough about Beetlejuice to know that he's not exactly like a wholesome character. He's a basically a villain. I mean, there's really one specific aspect of his character, what he does towards the end of the movie, that is a little problematic, admittedly. But I think in context of the movie and considering the fact that he is the villain, it's it's okay. Like, I'm not mad about it, you yeah, know? Yeah, ex- exactly. It's, it, yes, I understand in today's world... This would never be okay, and from what I hear, the state. But I think in today, I think I think it would still, well, be like I think if something like this came out today, and for, I mean I'm sure most people listening to this have seen the fucking movie, so they know what I'm referring to. I think if you're an intelligent human and you recognize context, that it's not a problem. Well, I think the stage play has. Tone down Beetlejuice's perviness. Yes. I think there was a musical made, a Broadway musical, that came out in April of 2019, nominated for eight Tonys, a big hit. From what I understand about it, I I know very little, 
but from what I understand, the character of Beetlejuice is more like he seems more like a genie type character from Aladdin where he's like the wacky sidekick kind of guy. So clearly they toned him down a little bit. I'm guessing because as time has gone on, Beetlejuice has become kind of a larger than life character. You know, I mean, goss everywhere bow before him and that's fine. They should really be bowing to Lydia, but that's just me. That's just my humble opinion. Yeah, he's kind of become a cultural icon despite the problems of the character. Honestly, though, I don't really have a problem with him. No, I I think he was funny. I, I think he's funny, and I think you have to look at it this way. You are right. He is the villain. Right. He, he is not a good guy, and portraying him with this characteristic of being a complete and other perv, mm-hmm. he's the bad guy. Yeah, it's essentially... If you have a a big problem and you want to cancel Beetlejuice, if that's your end game, I don't know. You got to get a life maybe, but <laughs> but if you really think it's that problematic, it's essentially the same thing as saying, "Well, Jason from Friday the 13th should be canceled because the character of Jason is promoting murder." Like it's essentially the same thing. Jason is the villain and he kills people. So that equates to murder equals bad. So <laughs> It's, you know, common sense, I think. Yeah, I I definitely think Tim Burton, as much as Beetlejuice steals the show of this movie, Tim Burton isn't idolizing the character. He's not making the character... I don't think so at all. The character of Beetlejuice, despite the fact that he is such a larger-than-life character now that everybody knows of, and he is the titular character of this film... He's only in like 14 and a half minutes of this movie total. <laughs> he doesn't even really show up till like halfway through. So, yeah, there's so much more to this movie that is awesome. Like, if you nitpick that one thing and say that the whole film is problematic and should be canceled or whatever. I mean, no, I didn't hear anybody saying that. But, you know, cancel culture is abounds nowadays. It shouldn't be. Honestly, if you really wanted to, like, change it, you could have had it, he just wanted Lydia's soul, and that would have just yeah. changed everything. It, but it's it's basically the same thing. Right. It, I mean, it gives it a more sinister, kind of gross oh, thing, yeah. which makes sense for Beetlejuice, because Beetlejuice is sinister and gross. <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. And looking to weasel his way back into life any way possible. So, yeah, I don't know if you could tell by my defense of this film, but I really very much enjoyed it. Also, it's not a long film. It's like a cool hour 25. Yeah, it was really quick. I could have chilled in this world for like another at least half hour. I would have been down. Well, that's why this this has now inspired a cartoon series. Yes. A, a stage show. Yeah. They they've been talking about doing a sequel forever. Yeah, I read something about uh, Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian, and I was like, huh? <laughs> oh no, it's still on Tim Burton's IMDb. Like it's still there. So who knows? But they've talked about doing that for so long. But this is one of those characters that could do that, and it possibly could work. Yeah. I think so. Like, he's he's Deadpool-esque. I mean, especially now with the, the Broadway show, a lot of people are digging that. Like, I think it could they could do a sequel and get away with that. They're making a sequel to fucking Hocus Pocus. So, as we said, this 
movie was directed by Tim Burton. This was a year before he made Batman, which was his like big break in oh, the yeah. business. But fun fact, Tim Burton was actually not the first choice to direct this film. The first choice by the, I guess, the studio was Wes Craven. I could see that. Which I think would have been boss as fuck. It would have been a lot darker though yes this movie is pretty dark i mean tim burton obviously is uh, you know is known for his dark humor and oh yeah but i wes is too yeah exactly with, with so. nightmare and scream and shit police are always off track with this shit if they watch prom night they'd save time there's a formula to it a very simple formula everybody's a suspect it would have been very interesting to have him do it but full disclosure as far as tim burton goes i'm kind of like on the fence with him there are certain movies that i like certain movies that i don't more recent movies that i see advertised and i'm like oh i don't want to watch this ew no like basically anything alice in wonderland and onwards i'm like ugh well i think tim burton at least early tim burton he was still finding his way, finding his style. As much as you can tell they're all Tim Burton movies, they all have something unique about them. Yeah. But once he, like, locked into that style, he kind of got comfortable and didn't leave it. Yeah. I was saying to you earlier when we were talking about just Burton in general, I th- it feels like now when he comes out with these movies in the last maybe, you know, f- five to ten years, let's say, it seems like he's almost parodying himself. Like, it's it's weird. And also, like, he relies a lot on CGI to the point where, yeah, he can just go even more over the top than usual well, and yeah. maybe rely too heavily on the CGI. Well, yeah, like, if you look, but he always wanted to do stuff like that. Because even if you look at this movie, there's a lot of stop motion in this movie. Right, but I like the stop motion. It always looked really cool to me, and it still does. I still think, even though, yeah, it dates this movie a little bit, it looks fun. Yeah, and I think it lends to the overall style of the movie, which I fucking love. Like, okay, the production designer of this movie, I just want to mention really quickly, uh, is Bo Welch. Oh. Now, Bo Welch, if you don't know who this is, um, there's a lot to unpack. Okay, so Bo Welch (laughs) was the production designer on a lot of Burton movies and just a lot of really cool movies in general. Uh, Lost Boys, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Men in Black, Thor, a whole bunch of others. He's, like, awesome. He also, fun fact, met his wife on the set of this movie. He's married to Catherine O'Hara. Oh, shit! Yes, and we'll get to her in a minute queen love her the other thing i wanted to mention though bo welch did direct cat in the hat why i'm the cat in the hat there's no doubt about that i'm a super fun difference feline who's here to make sure that you're me line key line urban time i got nothing Uh, okay so like he's also fucking crazy which for Cat in the Hat works out horribly, but for this movie <laughs> works out splendidly. <laughs> well, clearly he's a great production designer. Yes. Because this movie looks great. It looks great. But clearly he should have stayed in that job. I mean, listen, like, you can tell that we're in the 80s, let's put it that way, but I feel like the 
production design and the effects still kind of hold up. <laughs> yeah. Despite it being 30 something years old. You know, I mean, it's not completely dated to the point where you're just out of it. No, I, I think everything looks good. Every, yeah, everything looks really good. So, yeah, I, I think the overall style of this movie, you know, between Bo Welch and Burton, it's just... It's it, like gothic horror. Yes. Full disclosure, guys. Once again, you know me. I'm an open book. I had a bit of a gothic phase as a kid, as a teenager. I, I, had, I had my phase. I know my wife. I was a little in the, the gothic, you know, wearing black all the time woe is me oh angsty teen my life is so hard phase and i reveled in that and it it is it was very formative in my (laughs) in my life it formed my sense of humor i have a very dry i don't know if you've noticed i have a very dry (laughs) morbid sense of humor which is why lydia in this movie is my fucking queen yeah yes i was like all about it so uh, oh, and yes, and the score for this movie is done by none other than Danny Elfman. So he's worked on a lot of Burton movies. Uh, he did the singing voice for Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas. What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This isn't fair. What's this? And the score was really great. Very fantastical, but also dark at the same time. And this movie also had three writers. Okay. Some of which also have some history with Burton. So first things first, we have a gentleman named Michael McDowell. He, along with co-writing this film, helped Burton adapt Nightmare Before Christmas. We have a Mr. Larry Wilson, who wrote screenplays for such films as The Addams Family and The Little Vampire with Jonathan Licknicki. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll give him Addams Family. So <laughs> there's there's a theme here. We also have a gentleman by the name of Warren Scarron, who was a writer on the screenplay for the Burton Batman movie, ah. but also was a writer on a little script known as Beverly Hills Cop 2. <laughs> Hit me with that axle left, baby. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, <laughs> so yeah. And also, this movie was present at the 1989 Oscars. Uh, production, I'm assuming? No, it, it won the Oscar for Best Makeup. Okay, I can see that. Which makes sense, because it really... I mean, the makeup was good in this movie. Especially Keaton. Yeah, it, it worked out really good. Yeah, I, I I can definitely see it. There's a lot of cool, like, makeup-y things that are really awesome, especially when you get the the afterlife, which... Oh, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> we're going to get there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a bummer that this wasn't nominated for production design or effects or anything. I mean, even though the effects are, like maybe a little sophomoric now if you watch it but i mean that was kind of what they wanted like they wanted the effects to look like a b movie like a low budget movie which yeah worked out pretty good i think and again it all kind of lends to this tone i mean say what you want about tim burton but he's very good at setting a tone yeah i think if you had tim burton now do a movie like this a it would not come out as good but also i think 
you'd have to control the budget because like Dumbo, uh, Willy Wonka, all these fucking movies that he's come out with like recently are all like high budget movies. Yes, and because well, because there's just heavy CGI. Like, if this movie was made today, there wouldn't be any stop motion, you know, creatures or anything or stuff like that. Or... Yeah. Okay, so it's time to get to the nitty and the gritty. Yay! I'm excited. So we start with a nice soft rendition of "Daylight Come." Where it's just a nice as they go over the town. Oh yeah, that was one of the other things I knew about this movie that it does that song day oh day oh. Mm. I didn't know in what context or like how it comes up. I just know that this movie is like famous for that song. Yeah, this one this isn't the mo that moment. Right. No, <laughs> I was like I figured, but like I was curious as to how that song gets into the movie. And a boy was I <laughs> surprised we'll get there oh my god so we're following this camera throughout this town and then we get to this house on top of the hill and you realize that this is alec baldwin's model of the town he lives in in connecticut yes we have alec baldwin playing adam in this film uh this was really early in his career this is like his third theatrical film ever he's very young and fresh-faced yeah, very young. Him and his wife, who comes in and gives him a gift. Yes, Barbara, played by Gina Davis, who also, early in her career, this came out the same year as Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, God, that movie is an interesting movie, too. Yeah, and two years after The Fly, which I have to get you to watch. Yeah. Because that was a fucking great movie, too. They have a loving relationship, and you can kind of tell that. It's so cute. They're like the cutest little married couple. They're, they're, they're messing around with each other. Yes, they're very flirty and, you know, messing with each other. and It's just the cutest thing. They're on vacation officially, and they're going to stay home for a vacation. Yeah, they're going to have a staycation and kind of like like set up their house more like they they're a, a married couple they have this new house you know it's it kind of reminded me of us yeah because like we're a, a newly married couple and we're just starting out our lives together and it's just so cute it is and you can tell these two have chemistry from the yes, get-go definitely and that was actually really big in this movie that in this very short time you like these characters yes and that will become important in a minute. I Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> uh, so they're messing around and they get a knock on their door, basically, from their friend. Jane. Jane. <laughs> I almost wanted to like call her Jan just because of that uh, Quentin clip yeah. <laughs> that we have. Why the need for so much gruesome graphic violence? Why not let us imagine Because it's so it? much fun, Jan. Get really? it? Oh, God. It's so much fun, Jan. Because <laughs> she's one of those kind of people. Like, she's just a pain in the ass. And she makes a comment yeah. to Gina Davis because, like, they just moved into this house and she's like a real estate agent. So she's like, oh, this house is too big for you. Well, I don't think they just moved in. I think it's just... It's it's their house that just they've redone it to, and like yeah they like put a lot of money into it or whatever and she's like oh they're offering this much there's these people and they're offering this much money for this house you should get out this house is too big for you because you don't have any kids and it's like ow like well I think that's meant to imply 
I think Gina Davis had a miscarriage. Well, yeah, I think that like either they've been trying to have kids or there was a miscarriage or something like that. There is some history there. And because you can tell when Jane says that, I'm just going to call her Jan. When Jan says that, <laughs> Gina Davis has like a look on her face and Jan is like, oh, no, I'm sorry, honey. You know, da, da. I'm like, bitch, get the fuck out. <laughs> this is my house. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fucked up, man. Like, yeah, she's an asshole. I don't like Jan. No, nobody likes Jan. Uh, <laughs> so Adam goes to Barbara and is like, hey, I got to run to the store real quick to get something in town. Do you want to come with me? And she's like, yeah, sure. Why not? So they drive into town and they get the stuff from the store. He closes the store, walks back into the car starts to drive back home because they have to cross this bridge and there's a dog in the way. So they swerve to avoid this dog and their car falls off the bridge and crashes into the water. And then it just cuts to the two of them, Adam and Barbara, walking back into their house, soaking wet. And they, like, walk up to the fireplace, and they're like, oh, I'm so cold. And then they suddenly catch on fire, and they don't burn, and they're like, what the fuck is going on here? I turn to Scott, and I'm like, oh, no, they're dead? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, no. I was so upset. I was genuinely really sad because I really liked them. And, like, obviously, they're in the rest of the movie, so it's not like we lose them, but... It does bring up an interesting concept, which is that we've known these two characters for all of 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and they died (laughs) pretty suddenly out of nowhere. And granted, again, they didn't leave the film, but like I cared so much more about them dying after 10 minutes than I did about the fucking slew of characters in Rogue One, which we just watched recently, and they all fucking died, and they were with us for fucking two hours. So, like, there's a lot to be said for character development. Like, get your shit together. Take some notes from Tim Burton, Star Wars. Well, old Tim Burton. Uh. (laughs) Yes, well, yes, no, old Tim Burton. So, yeah, they're dead. They... There's a book on the table. Yeah, it's the handbook for the recently deceased, and it just pops up out of nowhere. Uh, and they try to read it, but it, it kind of like it's implied that it's like hard to read, like it's like gobbledygook, and it. Well, yeah, they say it's like trying to like uh, it's like a radio manual for yeah. like a like trying to put it together like I guess a big radio. So it's like oh god, this is a pain in the butt, and it's long. So. This is where we get our first introduction very quickly to Beetlejuice. Thank you, Louise. <laughs> so, Beetlejuice is reading his newspaper and he goes, Ah, these two newbie dead guys. I could take advantage of these suckers. Oh, Basically, geez. in his Michael Keaton Beetlejuice voice, uh-huh. which is great. I love this voice. The voice and the look. Yeah, the look is pretty iconic. The thing is, he I feel like he's mostly known for the black and white suit, and he doesn't show up in that until, like, the last ten minutes of the movie. But still, it's it, he's pretty iconic in the role to begin with. Yeah, exactly. 
they realize humans can't hear them or won't hear them correctly. That's the correct term. They won't hear them. What I like about that is they'll be looking through the book and because it's hard to understand, they'll pick out little things here and there. So it's not like they're just throwing all this exposition and rules at you. It's kind of just sprinkled throughout. and It's a good way to world build without just spoon feeding it to the audience. Yeah, so their house gets bought. Yes, by the Dietz family, who consists of the father, Charles, played by Jeffrey Jones. And if you don't recognize that name, you can go back to our Ferris Bueller review where we talk about Jeffrey Jones. Um, we and don't miss Jeffrey Jones we, again. We don't speak very highly of him, mostly because he's a creep. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, he is in this movie. Then we have the stepmother, Delia, played by Catherine O'Hara, who most recently and probably most notably as of late plays the mother on Schitt's Creek. What you did was impulsive, capricious, and melodramatic, but it was also wrong. Yeah, didn't she just win like an Emmy for that? Or? Oh, yes. Yes, she's, she's awesome. And um, last but not least, we have to talk about Lydia, the daughter, played by Winona Ryder. And this is her third movie role she actually the year after this does heathers but yeah we we have to talk about lydia who is amazing she's a gothic princess and i love her she's basically like my inner soul from when i was 14 15 years old (laughs) and i love her she she honestly is arguably it's like her and Beetlejuice are like 1A, 1B characters in yes. this movie. She wears these like over-the-top gothic outfits, raven black hair, black makeup, the whole nine yards. And she pops out with these killer fucking sarcastic dry-ass one-liners that just basically are the words of my inner soul. As soon as we get settled, we'll build you a dark room in the basement, Okay. My whole life is a dark room. One big dark room. And Uh, I love it. Her her first line, basically, as Delia, who's like, oh, I don't like this house. She goes, oh, Delia doesn't like the house? That means I love it. Yeah, basically. I do want to mention the the stepmom-mom thing, though, because throughout the movie, Charles keeps referring to Delia as Lydia's mother. But Lydia makes a point to say stepmother. They don't really mention her actual mother, but in the musical, they make a point to mention that the mother has passed away and that the father, Charles, really hasn't acknowledged it at all and just got remarried and da 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 da. One of the biggest songs in the musical is uh, Dead Mom and it's sung by Lydia. Every day, dad's staring at me like a about your mom and it's a pretty iconic song it's the only song that i've actually heard from the musical yeah i I just i love this character i love it i love it so much (laughs) yeah because it's 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 over the top in presentation in visuals because tim burton you know but the character itself is not over the top the character itself is very like typical 
goth angsty teen, which I appreciate. She kind of reminds me a, a lot of like a little older version of Wednesday Adams. Yes, absolutely. Yes. But we also get introduced to the fourth member of the Deets family who's not oh, really a member of the Deets. Yeah, he's basically, I guess, like he's Delia's friend slash like... Confidant. Yeah, because she's she's an artiste. She's a, a sculptor, a famous sculptor, famous quote unquote sculptor from New York City, and um, this guy is like her designer. I don't know, whatever. He's just like a guy. And, uh, his name is Otho, which on a fucking weird ass name. I I've never heard that name in my life and I probably never will again, at least I hope not. And he's played by Glenn Shaddix, who is a pretty I think well recognizable character actor. If you see him, you're like, "Oh, I know that guy. He was in a few things. He was actually in Nightmare Before Christmas. He voiced the mayor." Ah. But yeah, he's he's a guy and he's annoying. Uh, he's basically there to just be like a foppish, annoying guy. Yeah, he he. It's he's an okay character. It's, yeah, he's it's, fine. He's basically just there to be like another Catherine O'Hara, like yeah. a male Catherine O'Hara character. Yeah. So they're going through the house, the two of them, and they've decided that they need to rip apart the house and make it their own because. There's no chi flowing through the house. Oh my god. Fuck your chi, bitch. And I was so mad. I was actually really mad. If you think about it logically, like, okay, these people have died. It's been like a month at this point, right? They've been dead? Two months, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, obviously, like, eventually someone's gonna move into the house and da-da-da-da. But I was, like, angry that they were moving in because poor Adam and Barbara are in the attic and they're like hey this is our house we worked so hard on this and i was really upset so they decide they're gonna try and scare them out of the house and it's not working even though they try barbara hanging in the closet ripping off her own face oh my god okay can we talk about that (laughs) holy shit okay so like barbara and adam talk about the fact that they are dead like ceasing to exist life is no more woe is them but not really because they talk about it like they have to renew the fucking registration on their car like it's just like oh you know dear we're dead you know what can we do i'm like what the fuck are you saying (laughs) and then and then they're just reading this book and like touting out like lines about rules of being dead and i'm like are you okay (laughs) like are you not having an existential crisis right now like you are young and vibrant and alive five minutes ago and now you are dead have a moment to cry do something but it like works somehow it just works like they're just such kind and sweet people i don't know why it works that they're so blasé about the fact that they're dead but it just works and it helps to make you feel bad for them because in a normal world I feel like you wouldn't really feel bad for the ghosts trying to haunt living people out of their house but no you feel bad for the ghosts that are like ripping off their face and cutting off their own heads to scare people like it's weird but the effects look great yeah it's fun at one point Adam has to have his headless body go lock the attic 
Oh yeah, because that's like where they're hiding up, and they don't they don't want them fucking with the attic because the models in there and everything. They it's just, their space. Yeah, it's just their place in their space. But Barbara is very upset about this whole thing. These people are talking about remodeling the home that they've worked on, and it, that pissed me off too. Because, like I said, it's just a cute little country home on the hill. It's very sweet and quaint, and they, you know, they worked really hard on it, and now it's getting fucked up, and it's sad. And she decides she's going to run out of the house, and she falls into this alternate dimension. With sandworms. Yeah, because, you know, this movie and Tremors are in the same universe, apparently. Um, (laughs) But yeah, they open the door to the house and they go into this alternate dimension. And this is where the claymation stop motion situation comes in. We get the sandworm popping out and it's got like a mouth inside of a mouth. Yeah, you know, like alien. (laughs) Kind of, yeah. And he's, like, trying to snap at Barbara and Adam. And uh, finally, they get back into the house. Yeah, so they're basically trapped in this house. And they don't really know why. And you know, as the audience, you don't really know why. Because it's like, okay, even Barbara says at one point, like, where are all the other dead people in the world? Like, why are we the only ones here? And why can't we leave? Like, what's going on? Lydia gets given a key to the attic from Jan... So she goes up to the attic, Lydia, and she tries to unlock the door, but Adam and Barbara are like holding it shut and they end up pushing the key out. It's like a whole freaky fucking situation. And then later on, Lydia actually goes to her father and is like, hey, I need to tell you what I saw. And the father's like, don't you see me trying to relax over here? And I'm like, okay, (laughs) sir, (laughs) sir, (laughs) your daughter is clearly, let's work under the assumption that her mother is dead, okay? And let's work under the assumption that it happened fairly recently and that you have gotten remarried to this crazy woman who she clearly doesn't like and moved her to another state in the middle of nowhere and all this shit. Now she's running around in the crazy gothic clothes saying crazy fucking shit all over the house. (laughs) And now she's saying she sees ghosts and you're not going to do it. You're just going to relax and bird watch out the fucking window. Like that's what you're going to do. Like what is that? What the fuck is that? So this is just one instance of this little girl's parents being incredibly neglectful and assholeish. <laughs> so just keep that in mind for later. <laughs> so Adam and Barbara need help and they read into the book that they just need to draw a door. Yeah, they they read into the book some more and they read a passage that says in an emergency just draw a door and Barbara's like draw a door are you fucking kidding me so Adam takes a piece of chalk literally draws a door with a doorknob on the wall knocks three times and it opens creepily like fucking Diagon Alley in Harry Potter (laughs) like the fucking bricks in the wall move and a green light shines out and they walk right into the wall and they are at the DMV 
<laughs> that I like too. Like that's great world building. Barbara asked that question earlier, like where are all the dead people? And then you walk in this thing and there's just this whole society of dead people. They're just waiting around to be helped. It comes up later, but like the receptionist apparently cut her wrist to die. Oh yeah, she, there's a lot of references to suicide in this movie too, which is fucking weird. <laughs> it's pretty dark. Yeah, but also this is where you get some of the weirder, like, this woman's chopped in half. There's a guy with a shrunken head. There's a guy who was flattened by a car who comes and gets them and brings them to... Other uh, caseworker. Yeah, their caseworker. Uh, I don't remember what her name Juno. was. Juno. Juno, who's this, like, you know, sassy old broad who I loved, but... The quote-unquote dead DMV scene is essentially just a cavalcade of Tim Burton-esque characters. Like, it was basically just him jizzing all over the fucking room. Like, just spreading his seed everywhere. Oh, fly, my pretties, fly! Like, that's basically what the scene was. And... (laughs) Is that okay to say? (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I, I I don't know how to else to say it. <laughs> I mean, listen, this movie is not dainty in its <laughs> fucking explanations. So why should I be? <laughs> That's fine. So apparently they waited at the DMV for three months. Right before they left to get help, they saw a commercial on their little television for Beetlejuice. It just pops up on the TV random like out of nowhere and it's basically like a used car salesman type commercial i'll scare them real bad the point is folks i'm gonna do anything to get your business hell i'll possess myself if i gotta whoa yo i got demons running all through me all through me come on down here and see it it's the first time we actually see beetlejuice not in person because he's on the tv but he is essentially Michael Keaton in a bunch of gross looking dead person makeup just acting a fucking fool (laughs) and it's great it really is it's it's fucking hilarious and he's just like going crazy like oh you need help adjusting to the afterlife oh you gotta you gotta call me Beetlejuice oh it's like he's been smoking menthols for 20 years so now they meet their caseworker in the house that has now been redone and it looks nothing like their house anymore Except the attic. The attic's the same because the they the couldn't same. get in. Exactly. So Adam and Barbara say to the caseworker, like, hey, you know, we need help. We want to get these people out of our house. And she's like, we can't really help you with that. Like, you got to scare them out of here. Like, it's your house. Do what you got to do. And they're like, well, what if we can't? We found this leaflet for this guy, Beetlejuice. What if we call him? <laughs> And Juno, yeah, Juno reacts very strongly to that guy. He, she says, don't say the name. Uh, he does not work well with others. He used to be my apprentice, but he basically went rogue and he calls himself a bio exorcist. He's dangerous, essentially, is what she's saying. Don't have anything to do with him. Don't say his name three times. That's how you call him. So just don't say his name. Trust me on this. Don't do it. She's like, good luck, have fun, toodaloo, bye. (laughs) And she leaves. And they're like, well, shit, what do we do? (laughs) Which is hysterical to me because I laughed at this. You just gave him them the way to call him. They had no idea what to do. And you just gave them the answer to this. Yeah, but like, 
I guess she didn't want them to do it accidentally because that's very easy to do if you don't know. Yeah, that's. I, I guess that's true. So now the goal is for Adam and Barbara to find a way to spookify the Dietz family out of this house. Yeah, so they decide their first option is going to be throw on bed sheets. <laughs> Cut eye holes out and pretend to be like ghosts. And they do like <laughs> they do like this fucking like kind of like how I've been doing in the beginning of the episodes for Spooky Month. Like, you know what it reminded me of? There's a a classic episode of Scooby-Doo where there's a literal ghost that does a projection. You know what I'm talking about, Scott? With the, like, he has a literal sheet over him and does a projection of himself throughout the house. And he just goes around the house like get out that's what it reminded me of <laughs> yeah because i think somebody runs into the wall with him too at yeah, some point yeah. if i can find a clip of it i'll put it here <laughs> there goes that crazy wind again i warn you leave haunted isle and never return the phantom has spoken oh god so they're trying to do this they're not getting anywhere because at first, the father thinks that it's just Lydia, yeah, and the mother is knocked out on Valium, like sleeping, and Lydia is in the fucking bedroom, just like, ugh, like disgusted because she thinks her parents are fucking in the next room because of the moaning. <laughs> I was like hysterical laughing, and then she comes out of the room, Lydia, to see Adam and Barbara in their sheets, and she thinks it's the parents so she takes a bunch of pictures of them to embarrass them essentially with her little polaroid camera and she's looking at the picture and she sees that there's no feet like they're they're just sheets and then air underneath she just walks up to them like calm as anything she's like are you the people that live up in the attic (laughs) and adam and barbara are like are you not scared of us like what the fuck and (laughs) she's like are you gross under there are you like night of the living dead under there (laughs) i'm like bitch i love you so much which i think is even funnier because i think in night of the living dead the original i think the main character the main female character's name is barbara Oh, really? They're coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, yeah, yeah. They take off their bed sheets. And Lydia's like, oh, you're not gross. You're just like normal people. And they're like, oh, you can see us? And she's like, yeah. And the best line of the movie comes out of this girl's mouth. And I have to say it. So she's explaining to them like, yeah, well, I read this book, the handbook for the recently deceased. And in this book, it says that Live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. Me. <laughs> Call your shot. <laughs> I love her so much. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm sure I, there isn't one. I really, I want it. Scott, put it on my Christmas list. <laughs> so basically, she's like, you guys got to up your game. They kind of uh, form a bond here and they're like, hey, we like you. And she's like, hey, I like you. Let's be friends, essentially. And she's like, hey, I'm cool with you staying here or you scaring us out, whatever you want to do. But just so you know, if that's your plan, you better up your game, bro. (laughs) So 
they give in and they decide they're going to call Beetlejuice. Barbara says, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. And then suddenly <laughs> they get zapped down into little itty bitty size. In a little itty bitty living space. Yes. <laughs> Phenomenal cosmic power. Itty bitty living space. Because um, Beetlejuice apparently is like living in the model. Yeah. Which isn't really explained how that happened or works but it's fine i don't need to understand it the point is they're in the model now (laughs) and they have to dig up beetlejuice and they do yeah i just love the creativity of it because it's funny because they're digging up the model and it's even funnier because it's it's because it's not it's like cardboard and cork board and like plastic it's just really funny it's, it's humorous and then beetlejuice pops out in all his glory yes and we finally meet the titular, a Beetlejuice, played by Michael Keaton, and um, he he's interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, he's a perv. He is a perv. We establish that immediately because he just grabs Gina Davis and like dips her and tries to make out with her, and I'm like, ew, no, get your fucking hands off of he her. He tries to look up her skirt. I literally had a George McFly moment. <laughs> Hey, you, get your damn hands off her. <laughs> he tries to, like, change his clothes to look like Adam a little bit. Oh, yeah, because because immediately they're, like, turned off by this guy. They're like, oh, we, we made a mistake. We don't want to do this. This is too much. So <laughs> they try to leave, and he's basically, like, trying to convince them, like, oh, you know, we can, I, we can make a deal. I can help you get these people. You want these people out of your house? I want to get these people out of your house. <laughs> They're like, what are your qualifications? He goes, well, I went to Juilliard. He drops the facade, starts talking like Michael Keaton. It's fucking hilarious. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? Finally, they're like, you know what? We're not going to do this. And Gina Davis goes, home, 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 and they grow, leaving Beetlejuice in the model. So the Deets are having a dinner party. Oh, yes. So fancy. And this is probably one of the most famous scenes in the movie. So at this point, going into the dinner party, Lydia has tried a couple of times to convince both her father and her stepmother that the ghosts in the house are real. But they're like, oh, poo-poo, you're so silly, you gothic child. Like, what's your problem? Gee, I don't know. I can't imagine she's a teenager and her mother is dead and her father married a fucking cunt. I don't really know why she would be upset. But also going into this dinner party, Adam and Barbara have recommitted themselves to trying to spook the Dietz family out of the house. And they come up with a plan. They're chit-chatting with, you know, their hoity-toity friends. Lydia brings up the ghost at the dinner table and... Catherine O'Hara's character decides, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about something else. Like, I would rather talk about... It's cute, Delia. And they all, and she starts singing the song. And then everybody else like thinks it's a joke at first. But then everyone else is like forcibly 
thrust yeah, it into the they song. They all like start dancing like this choreographed thing and singing, and I'm like, did this just become a legit musical? <laughs> Like, what's happening? And it's funny because after all this is over, that line is said by a character. I think the father, he's like, it's like we were in a musical. <laughs> it's like, yeah, basically. They go through this whole song and dance routine. And then Barbara and Adam run up back into the attic and they're like, oh, this is great. Looking out the window like, OK, any minute now they're going to run out of the house screaming. And then all you hear is a knock at the door. Knock, knock, knock. And it's Lydia. And Lydia's like, um, they want you to come downstairs. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? And then you cut to the adults downstairs and they're like so enthralled with what happened. They're like, oh, my God. It's like we were. It's such a cute party trick. It's like we were in a musical. It's so exciting. Ooh, ghosts. And I'm like, you're not at all scared by this <laughs> or that they can like just take over your body mind, yeah or like have your mind blown that ghosts exist and like dead people walk the earth and i literally screamed out loud at this scene while i'm watching these adults have this conversation i'm like people react to things very strangely in this <laughs> well, and scott was like laughing at me i'm like what is happening well it's even funny because one of the guests goes Oh, yeah, the New York Times will give you $50,000 if you can prove that there's an afterlife. Like, that's it? <laughs> like, 50 k to just prove that there's fucking an afterlife? If you could prove there's actual ghosts, that's got to be billions of dollars. So, they're not going to come downstairs. They're kind of upset that this didn't work. So, Beetlejuice decides he's going to work his magic a little. He can kind of bend the rules and get out for a little bit because he's alive now because everybody goes upstairs to try and get... Barbara and Adam to come downstairs and as they're walking downstairs a little defeated Beetlejuice becomes the banister and a giant fucking snake oh yeah it's super creepy but also cartoony as hell but again that kind of fits with all the other effects in this movie so it works exactly but it's it's a fun little scene I mean I don't know if I would call it fun he like throws three adults off of fucking huge flight of stairs i thought he killed the dad honestly because he like hung him over the fucking stairs and dropped him on the tile floor well this is the and scared the shit out of lydia this is the first time you get the sense that beetlejuice is not only a perv but he's very problematic well yeah he he immediately takes a shine to lydia who is I mean, I don't know. I don't think they ever say her age, but I would guess like probably 15, 16 maybe in this movie. So <laughs> it's a little gross. And by little, a lot, I mean. Essentially, this is the problematic point that we were talking about in Beetlejuice's character, that he is not only a perv with adult women, um, but also children, which is great. Um, <laughs> but again, like the villain character being a pervert and the hero characters trying to stop said villain character from being a pervert and taking advantage of the child in the movie, I don't see as a problem. No. I think what most people, again, most people have as the problem is the fact that he's basically become idolized as a character. And I get that aspect of it. I do. If anything... I wouldn't idolize Beetlejuice necessarily. I would idolize Lydia because I feel like she's the real MVP of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. So Beetlejuice is hovering over Lydia. 
Gina Davis comes down and goes, Beetlejuice, 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 and sends him back into the model. Right. And she thinks that uh, Barbara and Adam are like with Beetlejuice. So she gets mad at her and runs away. Like, get away from me, all of you. Ah, and runs off like very histrionic, you know, typical teen stuff. Yeah. We get Adam and Barbara confronting Beetlejuice. And he's like, come on, it's, it's what I do. And he gets distracted by a random strip club that magically appears in the model. And as Beetlejuice is like sashaying into the strip club really creepily, <laughs> really creepily, Barbara and Adam get zapped back into the ghost DMV world and they get sent straight into Juno's office. You done fucked up now! You let Beetlejuice out. You let these guys get photograph evidence that ghosts are real. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, like, you can't do these things, you stupid ass. <laughs> like, you should read the manual. And they were like, we fucking did. We It's fucking difficult. And you let Ofo get the manual. Because oh, Ofo yeah. got the manual. Well, yeah, while the adults were, like, poking around in the attic, Otho finds the book and pockets it. Which so, will come back in a bit. Yeah. Juno says, okay, here's what you have to do. You have to go back, get rid of the photo evidence, get the book back, and you have to really, if you really still want to scare the deets, you got to fucking do it yourselves. And she says to them, okay, let's see how you're going to do it. How are you going to scare them? And this is a good scene for like the effects because we get another little claymation-y moment where Adam and Barbara both really like fuck up their faces and stretch them out and it's fucked up like it looks awesome yeah essentially Adam makes himself look like um kind of like a human version of Zero the dog from Nightmare Before Christmas yeah like his face yeah but I always thought he kind of looked like almost like a plague doctor-esque yeah that's a better description and then um Barbara she contorts her face kind of gives herself like this long snoot opens her big mouth and has like these razor teeth and her eyes are her are sticking out in her mouth and it's like really creepy it's super creative and super creepy looking it kind of looks like if you remember the show it kind of looks like two things out of ah real monsters Oh, yeah, it kind of does. You're right, because the, there's the one that holds his eyes up above his head. Yes. Yeah, it kind of does look like that a little bit. And the best part of that scene is they get up to leave because Juno's like, all right, good. You guys, good job. Have Adam Hoss. And they get up and they don't move their faces back. They just leave the office looking like that. It's like funny because <laughs> it's clearly like these. Act- I don't know if it was them actually like gina davis and alec baldwin but it's these two actors walking around in these fucking huge masks and it just looks so silly oh it looks it looks insane but while this is going on while they're talking to juno lydia comes into the attic and finds beetlejuice who is trying to convince her to say his name three times oh yes because at this point this is another point where suicide kind of comes up because she's so upset she writes this histrionic suicide note and she goes up to the attic to presumably kill herself and she goes in there and she finds Beetlejuice and she's talking to him and like I want to be dead like you and like them and he's like oh well I can help you with that I just gotta say my name three times and she's like okay what's your name and he's like I can't tell you that 
you know, rule them's the rules. He he alludes to these rules a few times about his existence. And it's not really fully explained, but it doesn't really have to be. It doesn't matter. But he basically <laughs> plays charades with her, quote unquote, to get her to guess his name. It's like fucking Rumpelstiltskin shit in here. He conjures like a life-size beetle and magic orange juice that like pours in the air. Yeah, and she's so stupid. <laughs> like it's it's clearly a fucking carton of juice, but I guess to build up the drama, they have her say like, "Oh, d- beetle breakfast, beetle orange, beetle drink," and it's like, "Bitch, it's orange juice." <laughs> you said orange. What's the other part of that? <laughs> but eventually, she says beetle juice. He's like, "Aha, you got it." And she is about to say it. For the third time. And Barbara and Adam walk in. She screams. She goes, no, 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 it's us. Don't say it at the end. Don't do it. It's fine. Adam leaves his face, of course, contorted while Barbara fixes her face like right away. Barbara stops her from saying it. At first, Liddy gets a little scared because her face is still fucked up. But she fixes it right away and like says to Liddy, like, no, 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 no. He's a bad guy. No, no, no. Don't say it. And they have this really nice moment. Lydia says to her, like, I want to be dead like you. And Barbara's like, no, you don't. It's you don't want to be like us. Don't don't say that. And Death's have this really, just as hard. Yeah. They have this really cute, sweet moment. And um, it's funny because a few times throughout this movie, there's these serious scenes and interspersed in the seriousness is this silly humor. So while they're having this really sweet moment, Alec Baldwin is in the back still struggling to recontort his face back to normal. So like there's one point where his his snoot is really long. He's just talking to her like, "That's right, Lydia. Death is not fun." <laughs> and it's just like it's so fucking cute. I just I love the relationship between the three of them cuz it's like she's obviously missing that parental love and and guidance in her life and they never had a chance to have their own child they kind of have this surrogate family going on and i just i think it's the cutest thing ever so now that we've officially had our two most iconic characters in the movie meeting each other i think now would be the perfect time to go into our favorite segment the cast could have been. So I have a, a slew of cast could have beens for this movie. Uh, I, I picked out some interesting ones for both Beetlejuice and Lydia. Which one would you like me to start with? Let's start with Lydia. Alrighty, so first things first, I just want to say for both Lydia and Beetlejuice, I think the casting was top notch. So I don't think we're going to request replacing those actors with any of these people. But I do maybe want to talk about best and worst ideas. Okay. Now, as far as Lydia, we have Alyssa Milano. Okay. Juliette Lewis. Lori Laughlin. Aunt Becky herself. Oh, boy. Before she went to jail. <laughs> before the jailbird went flying away. We have Diane Lane. Brooke Shields. Jennifer Connelly. Uh, we have SJP. What, what? Our Sanderson sister. And uh, last but not least, we have the 80s princess, Molly Ringwald. Okay. So... 
again, I think Winona Ryder fucking killed it. So there's no need to replace her. I think her aesthetic and her vibe are just everything. Yeah, I think she's. I think she's perfectly cast in this. But Scott, if you had to pick a best and worst out of that, what? Where do you think you're you're at? Uh. I feel like Molly Ringwald would be the best choice, even though I think she's a little old at this point. I was thinking that as well. I think she might be a little too old, but... I think, like, Lori Laughlin's the worst, though. Or SJP, honestly. I don't feel like she plays the dark kind of character. Yeah. Like, you gotta have that kind of edge to you. Yeah. Which is why I think Molly Ringwald would have been an interesting choice, even though I do think maybe she, depending on how she looked at that time, might have been a little too old. I think Juliette Lewis also would have been an interesting choice because she she has a tendency to do a lot of offbeat characters, and yeah. I think that really works for her. Indeed. But now we're going to get to the head honcho, the big kahuna. Our titular character. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice! We have quite a few interesting names in here, including one that was Tim Burton's original first choice, that the studio absolutely refused to do. <laughs> this is going to give you like a, a cockeyed face here. Sammy Davis Jr. What? What the fuck? <laughs> what? That was Tim Burton's original choice to play Beetlejuice. That uh, I, I don't see at all. I, I guess maybe originally he wanted there to be kind of like a jazzy coolness vibe about him. I guess. I don't really know what he was thinking. Then again, who really knows what Tim Burton is thinking from one minute to the next? I'm not even sure Tim Burton does. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a choice. Other names that were batted around for the role of Beetlejuice include Sam Kinison, Robin Williams, Christopher Lloyd, Tim Curry, Jim Carrey, Jack Nicholson, Bill Murray, Robert De Niro, and John Cleese. So lots of big names in there. It's funny because you have the Sammy Davis Jr. who is the polar opposite of everybody else on the list. Exactly. I don't understand. I don't understand, bitch. I don't understand. I think Christopher Lloyd would have been weird because this was like right around the time of Back to the Future 3. Well, thinking of the character and how like vile and pervy he is. Yeah, it would have just been like Doc being a perv and I don't want that in my life. I think the best choice out of that list other than Michael Keaton, of course, would probably be Sam Kinison. Sam Kinison would have been interesting. Because Sam Kinison has that crazy kind of over-the-top energy that probably would have worked very well for Beetlejuice. Yeah, I actually think Robin Williams and Jim Carrey obviously would have done well also because they just have that natural, vibrant, crazy energy. I just don't see the two of them being pervy. Right, no, I get you. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe those two are too well-liked. Yeah, I guess. And... The thing with other actors, such as like Jack Nicholson or Robert De Niro, which would have been fucking bizarre. I feel like they have a weird, crazy energy too, but it's also very sinister, almost maybe too sinister. Yeah, if you were going to go like real... If Wes Craven directed this, De Niro would have been a very good choice. Yes, because it would have had a darker tone, most likely. I think the the thing with Michael Keaton is he perfectly balances that sinister creepiness 
and also being funny. Yes. And that has been another episode of Cast Could Have Been. So, suddenly the father and Ofo set up this seance to prove to potential business partners. Because what they want to do is like, obviously, you know, they had a really traumatic life altering experience. So they want to monetize it and make a theme park out of it. (laughs) They want to build an attraction around Barbara and Adam Adam as ghosties. Ghost world. Yeah. A great movie, by the way. So they start this seance and the seance scene, guys, I was really sad. Like, I I was really sad. I hated it. Well, I wanted it to stop. <laughs> well, I believe they actually are exercising them. That's the whole point of, like, the scene. Which I don't get because they want to prove that they're real. So then why would they well, I think it's because, kill them? Well, no, because I think Lydia says Ofo doesn't do anything right. Oh, yeah. She does mention so that. So even though he is trying to just call them to the room yeah he fucks it up and now like they're being exercised yeah like so the way they do it is this holding is so fucked in a normal situation right if you're in a house and you realize oh my god there are ghosties here and they don't really want to communicate with you they've made that pretty clear they want you to go away or they at least want to go away and pat like they you know they just want to be left in peace so i feel like if I was a normal human being, which I'd like to think that I am, at least most of the time. I would respect that because these people are fucking dead. <laughs> so, like, have some respect for them. They're not hurting you. If if you at least reach out, if you say to them, listen, I know this was your house and I'm really sorry, but we want to stay here. So, like, let's coexist peacefully. I'm sure that Adam and Barbara would be like, you know what? Fair enough. But no, they're just like, come out, come out wherever you are, make us money. It's like, fuck you. And then when they don't want to do that, when they don't want to be their fucking sideshow, they decide they're going to do this seance. And in order to do the seance, they have to have personal effects of the deceased. So what do they do, Scott? They go into like their fucking closets or whatever in the attic and they pull out their fucking wedding outfits, their wedding dress and their tux place it on a fucking table and start a seance um excuse me i i don't know if you guys realize this but last year scott and i were wed and i can tell you right now if i died tomorrow and some asshole was poking around at my wedding dress i'd be fucking pissed well no one could call me because i rented my tux yes well yeah that's true he bought his tux (laughs) what a what a what a fool! You don't need to. You don't need to buy your tux, guys. If you're out there and anyone's telling you, you need to buy your tux, don't do that. It's not. It's not necessary. <laughs> when are you ever gonna wear a tux again? Meanwhile, when am I ever gonna wear my wedding dress again? But that's besides the point. 
I think it's different for guys and girls. Like your wedding dress is like kind of a special. Yeah, thing. I mean, uh, guys don't go to like wedding shops and try out tuxes. tuxes like that. You don't have to ring a bell when you pick out your wedding tux. Let's put it that way. They don't give you a big bell to ring and make a big stink out of no, it. No, but when the tailor goes, "Oh wow, you actually lost forty pounds before your wedding. I have to redo all your measurements." You're like, "Yes, you do." Oh, Scott likes to just throw that in there as a little uh, pat on the back. Damn straight, I do. But well, anyway, we got totally off topic. Sorry. But anyway, <laughs> so the seance begins and it tears at your heart because Adam and Barbara are up in the attic. And as the seance begins, first they're calling Barbara and you see in the attic, she slowly but surely starts fading away. And Adam is trying to hold her hand and he can't feel her. And then she's slowly fading away and she can't talk like... Oh, and then she shows up in the room in her wedding dress. Like, she slips into the wedding dress, and she's up, and she's at him, and she's trying to talk. She's trying to scream Adam's name, and she can't talk. And it's like, oh, my God, she just wants her husband, and she and he's screaming for her. It's horrible. And she starts deteriorating. Yes, that's even worse. Oh, my God. Ugh. And then they get Adam, Yes, too. and then Adam's looking at her like, oh, my God, what's happening? It, like, just the looks on their faces and Lydia's screaming like stop it stop it and Arthur's like I can't stop it she reaches out to Barbara like trying to help like she doesn't know what to do so she runs over to the model and Beetlejuice is there sitting on the gravestone in the iconic black and white striped suit and Lydia goes can you stop this and save them and she goes oh yeah I can do that no problem but you gotta marry me yeah uh (laughs) Yeah, because apparently if he marries her, he gets to live again, basically. Right, because that, that's what he says. You're right, because he says, I want to be back for good, but the only way I can do that, you know, as per the rules, quote unquote, is if I marry somebody. If I have a, I guess, a legally binding marriage. <laughs> so she agrees, Lydia, and says Beetlejuice three times. Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. Releasing him into the house to... Wreak havoc. I mean, yeah, but she does it to save Adam and and Barbara, which he does. Eventually, he stops it, and they kind of fall to the floor. And throughout the ensuing scenes, which is the chaos part of the scene, they are slowly but surely turning back into their normal selves. Yeah, he uh, knocks... The two business partners makes them a carnival game and hammers them through the ceiling. He fucks with Ofo by like ripping off his clothes and putting him in a different suit. Yeah, that was weird. I don't know, but go away, Ofo. He goes away. He brings Catherine O'Hara's statues to life. Yeah, her sculptures or whatever, her creepy, ugly sculptures, and they kind of ensnare the father and the stepmother and hold them hostage while he zaps. Lydia into this god-awful red wedding-type dress. <laughs> and he's in, like, a red suit. Yeah, it's really... It's it's awful. And then this little, like, reverend kind of comes out of the fireplace and he starts to try and marry them. Yes, and as Adam and Barbara are coming back to their normal selves, they immediately try to save Lydia by saying, Beetlejuice, 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 and getting him the fuck out of there. But he keeps 
impeding them at every turn. Yeah, he sends Adam into the model. He zips Barbara's mouth at first. At one point, even Lydia tries, and he covers her mouth. Finally, he sends Barbara to the other dimension. Oh, yeah, this was a great scene, because the first time around, she was, like, so scared of it. But then, as Beetlejuice is about to marry Lydia... Barbara bursts in from the other dimension, riding the fucking sandworm like a beast. <laughs> and I'm like, yes! The queen! There's so many queens in this movie. I love it. And the sandworm eats Beetlejuice and falls back into the other dimension. What was weird about this, though, is that her parents, they're saved, obviously, also in the end, and they're just standing there with Lydia and Barbara and Adam, and they're just smiling like, <laughs> and like, we're just supposed to, you know, like, <laughs> oh, we're, we're, we're fine now because we're Lydia's parents. So you guys can just forget all that crazy seance stuff, right? And us trying to, you know, get you out of the Capitalize house. on your death. Yeah. You know, that's, that's all water under the bridge, right? We're, we're not really the bad guys. That was all oath though, but you know, not really like, <laughs> going into this final scene it's just implied that like they're fine now even though these people are horrible they spent the whole movie neglecting their child slash stepchild treating her like crap and trying to capitalize off two innocent people's deaths granted i wasn't expecting them to get killed in the movie but like i don't know have something happen to them we basically cut to a future moment where Lydia's getting out of school and she comes into the house and it's like the cutest scene ever with her and Adam and Barbara and they're having this typical like family moment. What I really like about this scene is that they're not really her parents. They're still fucking dead and she's not their actual kid, but like it's still a very real family scene and i appreciate that yeah i love i love movies that do stuff like that and also her actual parents are just off somewhere in another room doing nonsense (laughs) fucking making ugly ass sculptures and bird watching and not giving a shit about their kids still so really they learned nothing this whole fucking movie but yet they're still like they're fine now in the end of the movie i don't know they're all one big happy fucking family in this crazy house and it ends on the funniest thing ever scott they possess lydia kind of to start singing shake 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 sinora shake your body liner shake 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 sinora shake it all the time work 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 sinora work your body liner and it's it's a fun number yeah it's really cute and fun and then we get kind of an epilogue scene with beetlejuice in the dmv area and he's just waiting to be helped at the dmv and he's like number nine bajillion 247 whatever so it's like wah 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 oh that beetlejuice he he tries (laughs) to steal the next number and he gets his head shrunken (laughs) and that's beetlejuice i love this movie i i told you i told you you would it was really fun i would watch it again i i really loved it i think if you don't take this too seriously and just watch it to have a good time you'll have a good time definitely i agree with that too
So, Frankie, here comes the question of questions. <gasps> the question of questions? What did you rate Beetlejuice? I rated Beetlejuice a four and a half out of five stars. I had an amazing time with this movie. I'm glad that Scott finally got me to sit down and watch it because it was a perfect fusion of darkness and fucked upness and humor and silliness. And that's that's where I live, you know, dark and silly. That's basically my Twitter bio if I had Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have it as a four and a half. I was a little nervous because before tonight I hadn't seen this movie in about 10 years. Yeah, it's still cheesy and it's still goofy, but it's still fun. But uh, that is the perfect movie, I think, to end our spoopy month. Yes, spoopy month is officially over on Shoot the Flick, but don't you worry, kids, because next week we have yet another Star Wars movie. And it's (laughs) another one that is split uh, yeah, a split public opinion. It's pretty controversial. Yeah, we're we're gonna talk about Solo, you guys, and it's gonna be interesting because um, Scott and I were both in the camp that we actually liked the movie. So we'll see if we still do after we watch it again. <laughs> exactly, and it should be fun. So before we get into our normal outro, I did want to mention something pretty awesome that happened to us recently. We were nominated for Best Podcast in the Best of Long Island contest. And if you don't live in Long Island, you don't know what that is, probably. <laughs> but it's basically exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it it's done by uh, Beth Page Federal Credit Union. Anybody can vote. You don't have to be on Long Island. Yes, anybody can vote. And we strongly encourage you, if you listen to this podcast and you want to vote for us, please, please vote for us. You can vote once every single day. Uh, until December 15th. So we're going to be plugging this like crazy until then. So get ready for that. (laughs) You can either go on bestoflongisland.com to find information on how to vote or we'll be posting a link on our Twitter and our Instagram as well that you can find. So don't worry. It will be easy to find. So please please vote for us if you can. We really would appreciate it. We want to win. We don't actually win anything. I think we just win a plaque. Yeah. But we want the damn plaque, okay? <laughs> it, it's, it would just be very fun and a very nice thing to have at the end of this crazy, shitty year. That's true. This has been a rough year. We need a little light at the end of our tunnel, you guys. So just, you know, if you can, help us out a little bit. <laughs> so next week, we're going to move on to Star Wars once again but until then this has been shoot the flick an official paradoja podcast i'm frankie sparks and i'm scott eisenberg make sure you check us out on instagram and twitter at shoot the flick and check out our weekly episodes every single wednesday on itunes spotify google podcast and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast and make sure you come back next week for our galactic supernova movie adventure stop Banana till the morning come. Daylight come and the one go home. Come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. 